Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We had a, a really good time uh, this August looking at the Psalms. I really, really enjoy that. I think that uh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that every August, just going, going through the Psalms. I think they're very refreshing. Um, but we are back in the book of Ephesians. And I don't know if you remember, this was a while ago, but when we talked about the end of chapter 2, or yeah, when we talked about chapter 2, there were a few verses, specifically verses uh, 18 through 22, which we didn't go in depth. And so I promised that at some point we would go back and tell them. So I figured that before we move on to the second half of the book, it would be a good idea to go back to these verses and, uh, and really look at them in, in a little bit more detail. Um, so let's, let's read them. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 18 just for just a little bit more context. And I will ask Anne for the reading of the word, if you are able. Ephesians 2, verses 18 through 22. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage that we have before us. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the cornerstone of the church. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be a part of your church, your people, to be fellow citizens with the saints. God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit evening as we look at your word, that you would teach us, that you would counsel us, that you would challenge us, convict us of sin, and that you bring us the healing and the comfort that comes through your gospel, through knowing your grace and your love for us. God, I pray that in this message that you... Um, that you give me the right word to speak for the building up of your church, for the encouragement of all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, when you look at the letter to the Ephesians, you might wonder maybe we're uh, struggling with imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that? Have you heard of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is. Basically, when you feel like you do not belong, 
Like maybe you were just hired for a new position and you're feeling like, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you don't belong there. Maybe uh, you have some self-doubt. Maybe you feel inadequate for the new position. And so why do I say that? Well, if you, if you think about the letter to the Ephesians, basically what Paul has been doing is he has been telling the Ephesians that they belong. He has been telling the Ephesians that the blessings that God had for the people of Israel are actually blessings that he had prepared for them from the beginning, from, from before the foundation of the world. He has been explaining to the Ephesians, you belong to the people of God. We don't know, we don't know for sure, right? Obviously, it doesn't say anywhere in the book of Ephesians that they were struggling with this, but you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder. Um, maybe. We don't know for sure, but just maybe some Jewish believers, some immature Jewish believers, not all of them, I hope so, uh, were probably undermining the Ephesian believers. They were undermining their salvation. Maybe some Jewish believers were, were saying to the Ephesian believers, who were not Jews, they were telling them, you know, maybe you guys are second class citizens. You, you came along later. We are the people of God. We are the people of God by birth. We belong, historically belong to the people of God. You guys are second class citizens. We don't know for sure, but you know, again, it makes you wonder just because of everything that Paul is telling the Ephesians in this book. Um, but Paul continues to assure the Ephesian believers that they have the spiritual blessings that belong to the Jews. They now belong to them. That they, that both Jews and Gentiles used to be dead in their sins but now God has made them alive. Uh, he assures them that before the the, the so-called uncircumcision, sorry, the so-called circumcision, which are the Jews, uh, they used to call them the uncircumcision. In other words, they used to say, you guys don't belong to us. But now, says Paul, because of Christ, because of the work of Christ, uh, he says, you once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul is emphasizing and assuring the Ephesians that they belong. And maybe some of you here, maybe some of us here, maybe you sometimes feel like you do not belong in the church. It could be, you know, maybe because of your uh, so socioeconomic status that you feel like you do not belong. Or it could be maybe because of your past. Maybe you have experienced things in your past, whether it be... You know, maybe you've experienced abuse of other things in your past and that makes you feel like you do not belong. Or maybe you have a very sinful past, which you know, it's interesting to say because all of us have a sinful past, but maybe you have a sinful past of, of maybe sexual immorality or promiscuity and you feel like you do not belong. You feel like an outsider. You come to the church gathering and you see everyone who has their life put together and they come from a from a really solid Christian background, you feel like you do not belong. Maybe people from the church have mistreated you. Maybe uh, uh, you have suffered abuse uh, from church leadership. I surely hope so that it has not been here. And if it has, please come and speak to us. If you're not aware of any of that. Um, but the point is that maybe you might feel like you do not belong. But in this passage, God is is telling through the Apostle Paul, God, God is telling us, you belong to my 
you are not a second class citizen of my kingdom. I gave my son Jesus to redeem you and you are now fully mine. You belong to my, to my household, you belong to my church, and I am actively working to build you up. So let's do a really brief recount of the things that Paul has tell uh, has told the Ephesians and, and he has told us that God has done for us. Just a brief recount. I already did a little bit of that, but maybe just in a little bit more detail. In Ephesians 1, he reminds the Ephesians that all the blessings that used to belong to God's people are now theirs as well. He reminds them that they have been uh, chosen before the foundation of the world. He reminds you that you have been predestined for adoption. He reminds you that um, you have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. He reminds you that he has forgiven you of your trespasses. He reminds you that he has revealed to you the mystery of salvation. He reveals to you that you have obtained an inheritance. He reminds you that when you heard the word of truth, when you believed in the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit with the gift of our inheritance. In chapter 2, he reminds the Ephesians that uh, he, he explains to them the two, two different aspects of salvation. And he reminds them first how they went from death to life. This is the first aspect of salvation that Paul talks about. And he says, you used to be dead in your sins and your trespasses. You used to walk in these things. You used to be under the control of Satan. You used to be dead and without hope. There was nothing that you could do to save yourself. And then it's interesting that Paul includes himself in the Jews and says, we were also in the same place. We were also dead. But God, in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been. So Paul here is saying that salvation is so much more than just a change of mind. Salvation doesn't just mean that one day you didn't believe in God and the next day you did. It doesn't just mean that one day you didn't believe in Jesus and the next day you did. Salvation means that one day you were dead, that you were without hope, that you were absolutely helpless, and when God, in his mercy, reached out to you, he made you alive with Christ. He gave you the life that he gave to his son, Jesus, when he rose him from the dead. That's what happened at salvation. And that's what Paul is reminding the Ephesians and reminding us that happened at salvation. Secondly, he talks about a different aspect of salvation, a contrast between being outsiders and belonging. And so he explains to them that they used to be aliens. They used to be separated from Messiah, from Christ. Uh, all of the promises and covenants that belong to the people of Israel, they used to not be theirs. But now, he says in verse 13, and I'll read that one, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, I, I go back to the same thing I mentioned earlier. Salvation is not just a change 
of mind or a change of belief. I mean, it certainly is, right? You change your mind, you change your, your faith, but salvation is more than that. Salvation is going from death to life and salvation is going from being an alien, from being an outsider, from being a foreigner to belonging to God's people, to being a part of God's kingdom. And so it is at the end of this argument that we find our passage today in verse 19 through 22. And so let's explore through these passages what it means to belong to God's people. Let's explore through these, through these verses. And, and hopefully, if any of us is struggling with an, an imposter syndrome, hopefully we will be completely assured that we belong to God's people after we look at these verses. First of all, he says, for through him, verse 18, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He is saying that both Jews and Gentiles, both believers that have been believers for a very long time and believers that are brand new believers, we both have access in one spirit. It's not like the Jews had a different Holy Spirit and then Gentiles or the new covenant believers have a different spirit. It is in one spirit. It's not like the Jews in the Old Testament were saved by something different than believers in the new covenant are saved. The believers in the Old Testament, they were not saved by obeying the law or by offering sacrifices or by doing those things. They were saved by their faith in Messiah, their faith in Christ their faith in Jesus. The difference is they look forward to Messiah and we, we look back to Messiah, Christ, look back to the work that he has done, but everyone has access to the Father through Jesus. There is no other way to access the Father. There is no shortcut. There's no, there's no other way to access the Father except through Jesus in one spirit. This is really good news because it means that your socioeconomic background doesn't matter, that your ethnicity doesn't matter, that your past doesn't matter, that, um, that what you have done in the past or what has been done to you in the past doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, you have full access to the Father in the same spirit than all the other believers in the history of humanity have had. In verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If you are in Christ, you are no longer an outsider. You are no longer an alien. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. You belong to God's family, the church. You belong to his people. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. When he's talking about the saints here, I believe that he is talking about the, the people of God in the, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And he is saying, if you believe in Christ, because of the work that God has done for you in Christ, you are a fellow citizen with them. You're not an alien resident, or you are not a legal immigrant or what. No, no, no. You are a fellow citizen of the kingdom of God. I think that this has 
big implications for us. And, and I'm going to get a little theological here. I, ho- I hope not too theological. I hope that, that, uh, that it still makes a lot of sense to all of us. But I think that one of the biggest problems of the church today is that uh, some people in the church have too low a view of the church. And so let me give you two different extremes. On, on, the one, on the one hand, I believe that there are people, there are theology that teach that the church is not God's main plan, but the church is a secondary plan. The church is God's plan B. That, that God, you know, that he chose the people of Israel and he has unfinished business with the people of Israel and the church is just kind of an intermission. But then once the church is done, he's going to go back. Um, and I believe that this could have a couple of undesired effects. I'm, gonna, I'm still talking about this extreme. One of the effects that I have seen in this kind of belief is an unhealthy fascination with Jewish culture. It's, uh, you know, since you believe that the church is just kind of an intermission, but that God's main thing is the, the, the ethnic people of Israel, then I see people who strive to start to try to become more Jewish, right? They, they go and buy a shofar and they go and choose the, the, they can choose the laws of the Old Testament that they like. And they, I don't know, they stop eating pork and doing things like that just to be, you know, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more Jewish. Um, and they diminish the work of Christ for the church. Some, I, I'm not saying everyone does this, but some go as far as to undermine the teachings of the New Testament. I have spoken with people that undermine the teaching of the New Testament because they say, oh, well, the Old Testament was written by the finger of God. It was given directly by God. And the New Testament, you know, it was these weird apostles. It was Paul and, you know, he writes interesting things. I'm not saying that everyone goes as far, but, but I do see this in people that undermine or that, that misunderstand the importance of the truth. But what Paul is saying in this passage is that the Ephesians are not second-class citizens, that the church is not God's plan B. He is saying God had planned this mystery before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan all along to save both Jews and Gentiles through Jesus Christ. He's not saying out of the two people, he made two new people. He is saying out of the two people, Gentiles and Jews, he made one man. This, this means, therefore, that we don't have to be obsessed with the nation of Israel. We don't have to wait for a new temple to be built. We don't have to keep an eye on the news. I mean, you can be in, as informed as you want, but you don't have to keep an eye on the news to look at what happens to the, to the nation of Israel to then see, oh, see all of these people being filled and oh. The, the second coming must be happening soon because God's new temple, as we see in, the, in this passage, is church. This is not a physical temple. It's a spiritual temple made out of his people. Now, on the other hand, this same view, not the other extreme. I haven't gotten to the other extreme. I'm still on this same view. Another thing that I've observed is that in, in some people, this wrong view of the church can lead to antinomianism. What is antinomianism? Well, it is uh, basically being anti-law. So while, while the first group, they are very attracted to Jewish culture and want to be more 
like this second group is actually against the law. And this group actually, uh, I have heard of people, I, well, actually, I know one personally, but they have never said this to me. But I know that this person has said that he would not preach from the Ten Commandments. Because why preach from the, from the Ten Commandments, right? We're under grace. We are under grace. We, we no longer have to look at the Old Testament. And this, again, is, is absolutely wrong. When we understand that we have been grafted into God's family, when we understand that we've been grafted into God's people, then we look at the Old Testament and we say, this is God's law. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is coming from God's heart and this matters. Now, of course, we understand that the law has been fulfilled by Christ. And we understand that there are many parts of the law that were shadows that were pointing to Christ and that once Jesus came, those were nullified or were completed. But we still look at the law as something that God gave us. We look at the law, we look at the covenant, we look at all of the things that God gave the people of Israel and we say, this is our inheritance. This belongs to us. All of the promises that God made are yes and amen in Christ. Now, on the other extreme, so that was that was the one extreme. This other extreme, I'm not going to go as, as, I don't think I'm going to go as crazy here. Uh, but um, I think the other extreme of, of a misunderstanding of the church is just having too shallow a view of the church, right? So while, while on this extreme, you know, there is an understanding of the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, I think on this extreme, uh, we are just very short-sighted about the church. We, we think that maybe the church is, you know, just this Western thing or this American invention. You know, we picture Jesus as this white bearded guy. You know, like it's very, it, I'm thinking more like a, like a cultural kind of Christianity where you don't realize the rich history of Christianity. You don't realize that you have been grafted not into an American church, not into a Western church. You have been into historical people of God that has been uh, uh, around since the creation of the world. You don't realize that when you are grafted into God's family, Abraham becomes your forefather. Jacob, Isaac, they become your forefathers. And I think that this short-sighted Christianity uh, just results in neglecting the church. We just feel like the church is a social club. Uh, we feel like the church is, I don't know, just the tradition, something that my mama told me to do when I was a child. And that's the reason why I go. This, and this results in believers, or sorry, not believers. This results in people only coming to the church gathering on Christmas and Easter. Because it's too shallow of a view. But if we really understood that the church is God's eternal plan, if we only understood that we belong to something that God had planned before the foundation of the world, if we understood that the church is our new identity, that if we are in Christ, we belong to God's people, we are no longer dead, but we are alive with Christ. If we understood that we are fellow citizens with the saints, then I think we would prioritize church. 
I think that we would make it a priority to attend church to the Sunday gatherings of the church because that's where we gather with the people of God, with our fellow citizens. But not only that, I think that also when we leave this building, we would also understand that, oh, okay, so church is not just something that I go on Sundays. Church is my identity. I am a part of God's people just as much when I'm away from this building than when I am with God's people uh, uh, gathered. And because of that, again, you prioritize being with God's people. You have God's people over to your house. You go visit those who are not able to gather with God's people. You go visit the sick. You go visit those in prison because you understand the importance of belonging to God's people. All right, moving on. Verse 20. Uh, Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundational teaching of the church, of God's people, is the apostolic foundation. Now, here we have, a, we have an interesting and, and actually a difficult passage because one of the questions that we should ask of this passage is, all right, we understand who the apostles are, but who are the prophets? Is he talking about the Testament prophets? And I think one of the questions is, well, why didn't he say the prophets and apostles, right, in chronological order? Um, or is he talking about New Testament prophets? And so if he's, if he's talking about New Testament prophets, then what do we do with our doctrine of, or, or what do we do with continuationism? And, and so my point here is, this is a complicated question, and I feel like this is not the time to get into it. <laughs> um, what I understand, I think, I think where, where we can all agree is that when he's talking about the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he is saying that the church is built on the foundation of the teaching of these people, these men that God gifted to give us the word of God. And so this means that we don't get to decide what the teaching of the church is. This means that we don't get to decide what the goal or the mission of the church is which this is actually really good news because if you think about it like when Jordan and I meet which by the way we're going to meet this this uh, month when we meet to you know strategize and think about our our goals our vision and all of that well most of the homework is already done for us because we don't have to come up with something new everything has already been established we, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Our mission has already been given to us. Now, when Jordan and I meet, I think you know, we're going to try to think about how we can apply those things into our context. But the good news is that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And I think that a big implication for this is that the leaders of the church have to be extremely intentional about guarding the sound doctrine, about guarding the apostolic teaching, about making sure the word that is being preached is according to the word of God. This means that if we're going to have a, well, actually, let me, let me uh, tell you something from 1 Timothy 1. I was looking at 1 Timothy 1 a few weeks ago, 
And one thing that I that I had not noticed before or that I had not paid attention to before is that um, when Paul is telling Timothy at the beginning of the letter, he is telling them the reason why he left him in Ephesus. He says, I left you here in Ephesus so that you would charge people not to teach false doctrine. Think about this. Timothy's main task in Ephesus was not necessarily, I, I'm not saying that it was not this, but it was not primarily to encourage. It was not primarily to teach new leaders. It was not primarily to, to come up with new teaching. His charge, his task, the task that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus for was to charge people not to teach false doctrine. In other words, Timothy was a doctrine uh, watchman or a doctrine police in Ephesus. His job was to make sure that people were not teaching false doctrine and that people were not believing false doctrine. And I believe that this is one of the primary responsibilities of the elders of the church, to make sure that false doctrine is not being taught to make sure that people are not believing false doctrine. Why? Because the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's why we try to be careful and, and we aspire to be even more careful in terms, of, uh, in terms of our preaching. That's why we try to be intentional about watching our own lives and our own teaching. That's why we give uh, the preachers, we give each other feedback after we, after we preach a sermon. That's why before we preach a sermon, before someone preaches a sermon, we have, you know, especially if it's someone who is, not an, who is not an elder, we actually get together before they preach the sermon and they, they show us all their material and we go over it and we give them feedback and we say, oh, this sounds a little interesting, but why do you consider changing it in light of this passage and this passage? Um, because we understand that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And now, why is the foundation of the apostles and prophets so important? Well, look at the second half of the verse. It says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It is important because the apostolic teaching is all about Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. The cornerstone is the stone uh, uh, that holds the rest of the building together. Apart from Christ, a church would fall apart. You cannot sustain a church with really nice people. You need Christ, the foundation, the, the, the cornerstone of the church. We need Christ in everything that we do for the church to survive. And this means that our potlucks should be Christ-centered. This means that our uh, sharing of testimonies should be Christ-centered. This means that our preaching should be Christ-centered. Our counseling should be Christ-centered. Our elders, uh, our elder meetings should be Christ-centered. Our, our women's ministry, our craft day should be Christ-centered. Our game night should be should be Christ-centered. Our DNAs, our gospel communities, our nursery, everything. Our families should be Christ-centered. If we want our church to survive, it has to be christ -centered. Center, because like it says in verse 21, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The unity and the growth of the church are dependent on Christ. 
if we leave Christ outside of our ministries, if we leave Christ outside of our preaching, outside of our families, then the church, the building is going to crumble because he is the one that joins us together. He is the one that brings growth into the church, which is a holy temple in the Lord. If we have a ministry or an area of our church or even a family or a marriage in our church that is not setting Jesus at the center, then division is going to start to come. Then they're going to they're going to complain about petty issues or about secondary issues and they're going to fall apart. They're going to divide. But when you remember that Jesus is the cornerstone, the stone that is uniting us together, then we show grace to one another. Then we forgive one another. Then we exhort one another and we accept the exhortation. Then we welcome one another because we know that Christ welcomed us. We show the same kind of grace that we have been shown because Christ is the cornerstone. And the beautiful news is that God's plan all along has been to build us into a temple in the Lord. That's why I mentioned earlier, I'm not waiting for a new temple to be built in Jerusalem because it says right here that God, or let me rephrase that. I'm not building for a physical temple being built in Jerusalem now. I know because we studied in Revelation that the new Jerusalem, the new, uh, uh, the new city, the, the bride of Christ will be the temple, right? It says, and I saw no temple because it's temple. See, I'm saying, hey, you, you need to, Jordan, we're going to have a, a feedback uh, uh, meaning there. It says, I saw no temple because its temple was Jesus Christ, the Lord. So I am not expecting a physical temple being built now in Jerusalem because it says that the church grows, the people of God grows into a holy temple in the Lord. God is building a temple that is not made out of physical stones, physical bricks, but it's made out of human stones. We are growing into God's temple. And now here is something really good in verse 22. Not that everything else that I said, or not everything else that Paul has written is not good, but here is something that gives me a lot of comfort. Notice the switch in, in, in address here from Paul, right? He's talking in verse 21, he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then he says and addresses them in the second person. And he says, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is really good news because it means that even if your local church is not doing that great, I don't know. I don't know where Kaleo is going to be in in ten years, twenty, fifty, five. I I don't know. We don't know. But the the really good news is that we know that if we belong to Christ, He is building us up. He is building us together into a dwelling place. God, He is working in us. The work that He started in you, He will complete it. He is building you. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God is actively building the church as his dwelling place. 
We don't know how the church will do in this country. We don't know if the church will, will, we don't know if there will be revival and the church will finally turn things around or if the church will be defeated or we don't know. But the really good news is that ultimately, and I said something else that I caught myself, ultimately the church will not be defeated because Christ is the head of the church and he is building his church. We have hope because in him, we are being built together. Even if this church were to close down, he is not done with the church. Some people might say, oh, you know, I think that the second coming is happening really soon. I think that things are coming to an end. Well, it could be. We don't know. But what if Jesus is beginning started? What if he is just beginning to build the church and there is a lot more going on, right? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we get to be a part of this amazing divine institution that is church. We get to be a part of God's people. We get to be a part of this plan that God planned before the foundation of the world. In Christ, you belong to God's family. In Christ, you are no longer an outsider. In Christ, you are a part of his temple. And if you have not trusted in Christ, if you know, I'm not saying struggling with, with, uh, uh, imposter syndrome, I'm, I'm, I'm saying if you know that you do not belong, then I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would beg you to come to God and ask him that by his grace, he would bring you from death to life. That by his grace, he would bring you from being an outsider, from, from being someone who doesn't belong, he would bring you into his kingdom so that you can be a fellow citizen with the So we're going to celebrate together the sacrifice of Jesus, the means that God used to bring us into his family. We're going to remember the blood of Christ. We're going to remember the body of Christ. We're going to remember the redemption, the price of our redemption that was paid for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for we thank you for your son. We thank you that he is our redeemer, our savior. We thank you that he is the cornerstone, and in him, those who those who belong to him, we are being built up into a holy temple, dwelling place for God. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, sacrificing the cross for us. God, I pray that as we take communion, as we remember your sacrifice, we will experience the unity that we have as a body. 
Jason, tem muito tempo.